0: Good morning, and welcome to episode 58 of The Crownsman Show. Today, we are joined by Clark Gruy. He is the president and CEO of Rainmaker Global Business Development. Jared and Clark discuss their four-phase process to ensure market entry success for their clients. Before we get started, let's give a shout out to our sponsors. First up, we have PowerZone Equipment. When you need a specialized team of world-class engineers for your oil and gas pipelines, dewatering, or any fluid handling needs, you want to visit PowerZone.com. In addition to their inventory of rebuilt pumps, motors, engines, they also have an amazing team to design and engineer your systems, no matter the challenge, no matter the location. Get in the zone with PowerZone. Visit them at PowerZone.com. We also have Sabana equipment. Savonar Equipment supplies new and used mining equipment around the world from placer to underground to ore processing plants. They have gold concentrating tables, trommels and mineral jigs in stock now to take advantage of the high gold prices. Visit them at SavonarEquipment.com where you will find more equipment every day. Well let's get on with episode 58. Here is Clark and Jared Downey.
1: We are back. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jared Downey, and this is The Crownsman Show. Today on the show, we have Clark Gruy He is the president and CEO of Rainmaker Global Business Development. Hello, Clark. How are you?
2: Hi, Jared. I'm great. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion that we're going to have today um, because I think uh, we've had a couple very timely guests on lately. Things like um, operating remotely, like from a technical standpoint, and then your, <laughs> I mean your your offering of helping with business development. I, I don't know if there's a much better time to be on a show like ours remotely, of course, <laughs> and, and helping people deal with not just the challenges but also the opportunities um, in today's market. So I want to kick it off. I want, just give that really quick snapshot. We're going to dig into a lot of different elements, but that really quick snapshot of who Rainmaker is.
2: Yeah. Thanks Jared. Uh, Rainmaker has been around. It started in Calgary in 2007. So I've been around for 13 years, working with international companies or companies that want to go international, maybe look at a new market, expand. Uh, and for many of the, the first year, first 10 years of Rainmaker, a lot of our work was inbound to Canada. A lot of it came into the country. We had companies from mm-hmm. all over the world interested in some of the major projects happening here. So we, we worked with, with Chinese companies, American companies, European, Middle East, um, all looking at Canada as a place to do business. We still do that. But what's been remarkable, Jared, for us for the past, uh, especially the past year, has been to support Canadian companies really looking to expand beyond our borders. And I think that's the important uh, element of what we're doing today that'll be. Fairly interesting, I think, for your audience.
1: There's, I, I, there's a quite a range of size of company that watches this show. Um, people at different levels of the company, and so there's going to be an automatically the first question is, do, do I fall within your scope? Um, what's the range, uh, the size of company that you work with?
2: Yeah, and and so at the, you know, at the top end, we've dealt with Fortune 500 companies, large, large European companies, um, some of the largest Canadian companies. Um, and at the at the bottom end, if you will, or the smaller end, um, you know it's commercial companies. So there's usually usually have revenue of of at least one or two million, um, and then our sweet spot we go up to about fifty million or so, Jared, or somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that small to mid sized company is definitely more our sweet spot, um, as much because that's mostly what's in Canada. There's not there's not a lot of uh, the large large ones, but but we fit really nicely for those SMEs. Yeah.
1: I uh I need to be, I need to get these stats, to know that I'm going to say them because I was looking at stats, I think from a few years ago and yeah, SMEs make up something crazy. Like it's over 90% of the businesses that might've been a BC stat, but across Canada, it's just huge.
2: It's across Canada. You're absolutely right. It's it's a, and I've heard as much as 98, percent depending on how you.
1: That's work. the stat that I heard. Yeah, you know, but I wanted that's, to go concerned.
2: That's numbers of companies as opposed to you know maybe this this how much they contribute to GDP, but but still, just purely as far as who employs Canadians, yeah, SMEs are are the lion's share of it, um, and and they're the ones that are that are um, you know uh, having to be as nimble as they can be these days to actually. You know, find ways to grow in these markets.
1: So, what, so is there, I mean, of course there is, but I, I just dig into it a little bit more. Is there that, is there a real opportunity if you're an operation that's got 20, 30, 40 people, um, you know, you're in that multi million dollar range, but you're not a hundred million dollar company? Is there, Is there a real opportunity right now, along with all the challenges? Like, are you, is there a tangible thing that you're seeing where these smaller Canadian companies actually have an opportunity to move into new markets?
2: Yeah. And I think, I think it's playing to our strengths, Jared. So, so first off, you know, most of the Canadian companies that I meet with and talk to are, they, they usually have some sort of innovative component to them. Mm. We don't really, we don't really build boring companies except when it comes to marketing. We don't seem to market ourselves very well. We come up with some really cool companies, some very cool, innovative um, you know, thoughts and ideas. And, and you know, typically not as many new inventions as much as innovation. We're really good at innovation.
1: Innovation, you know, yeah.
2: You know, and taking something or taking a couple different concepts and mashing them and, and creating something unique or different or new. That's what Canada's good at. That's what Canadian companies are good at. And I think there's a huge market around the world for that. So that's kind of where I go on that question, Jared, is, is, so I'm a, I'm a company of, you know, whatever size you just mentioned, 25, 30 million, or I've got 50 employees, whatever. Um, and I'm in Canada and I've done great things in Canada. I've innovated something. Um, you know, is there a market for me somewhere else or should I even be thinking about that? Um, you know, it's not yes for everybody. Uh, I'm not, I'm not one to say everybody should go global. Um, you really need to get the market fit. Um, Right, if you're going to be successful globally, and that's that's the trick to it, if you will.
1: I want to, um, Clark, there's I want to go into there, there's a list of roadblocks that you you have, um, I think they're on your website. I know you certainly provided them to to us, and I mean, I was it was actually a frustrating thing to read, to be honest, because I was like, oh, I could have had that list 10 years ago, that would have just. I had so many things I just would have went oh I need to find out about that um and but that that's the nature of, of doing business um but I want to there's an important thing that I, I think should be clarified in this that there is actually federal support even for smaller companies um that support the service that you're providing to the company can you talk a little bit about that before we get into the roadblocks I think it's quite important for the audience to understand
2: yeah, for sure, Jared, and and you know this is a very interesting time um, of government support as well. Let's remember that. Like here in you know Q four of twenty twenty, we're seeing more um, government support and programs available to companies than I've ever seen in my career. So, a, a unique time here. Um, the one that we really lean into, to be honest, is Can Export. There's a Can Export grant that's a federal government grant, which really helps uh, Canadian companies look at how they would actually grow their exports. So, and, and exports aren't just, aren't just a product, right? So we get kind of caught up on, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't build product, but it, but services are an export. Um, tourism is an export. So we got to think about export differently. And then this program, um, supports not just, um, not just what Rainmaker does for clients, and we and it does, it helps to cover off fees we would charge to the tune of about seventy five percent. But there's other oh. elements as well of a market at entry and development program that this program will help to cover up. So it's it's a unique opportunity for many Canadian companies.
1: Do you, can you help companies with that too? Because I mean. Oh. I've I've looked at some I, I've actually done some proposals um, ironically enough for um, Indigenous tourism I've worked on some of these proposals and wow like it's 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 not easy I mean it's it's, it's like Greek some of it it's intimidating um, right. It, yeah, that's that's exactly the right word. Are you helping not just the stream that's supporting on your fees but those other streams can, do you, are you assisting companies in that?
2: Yeah, we are and certainly we're writing can export proposals uh for companies mm. but not necessarily doing any work apart from that. So so we can help with that but we can also help with the with the actual market entry work. Um, there's, there's lots of other grant writers out there too, that are fantastic, but, but I definitely highly recommend companies to get help on granting grant writing. Yeah. Because even if you think you can fill in the blo- the boxes, um, Jared, as you know, it's how you write it. It's, it's knowing how the adjudication group is going to receive it. Those are the things that actually get you the money. And that's what grant writers do so well. Um, and there's grants, you know, there's grants. This one is a federal grant. There's other federal grants and there's provincial grants. There's some great grants in BC right now. And Alberta and Ontario and other places. So there's lots out there, um, and we're we're out there scouring for all the grants we can find for our clients all the time. So that our we we see that as part of our strategic approach. From our perspective, is to provide as much intelligence on the grants as we can.
1: Yeah, no, I I think the word intimidating is probably the best uh, the best description of the because I've looked at the forms and I've I've worked with them and I just go oh here we <laughs> it's it's a challenge. Yeah, it's um. You also, I promise, I am going to get into these roadblocks because it's it's really key. Um, but you also, I saw an announcement, I think about a week or two ago. You also named a new VP at Rainmaker, so I I kind of wanted to highlight his work as well.
2: Yeah, Casey McMeekin has been uh, been with us for nine years now. Um, so he's been he's been through it all. He's seen it all, which is which is really how he's risen to the rank of vice president of client services for us. And it's Casey's uh, job to lead the team who not only writes these grants but then also implements the strategies and and works with our global partners either either here in Canada or around the world to make sure we're delivering. Uh, so yeah, so Casey's been been great for Rainmaker. He's been a great uh, great leader for us, and and we're very excited to to give him the the title and the responsibility of vice president. Uh,
1: that that does come with those titles, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> the okay he's the road- i just want to make sure he hears me say it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um Ro- roadblocks clark i i I don't i mean we could take all four of these probably do our own series with multiple episodes within it i mean there are just so i want to touch on the first one unions um that is not the first one i expected to be on the on the list and it was the first one and by the time i was done talking to you i understood why. So can you can you get into that a little bit?
2: Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one because you know quite often um, you know you look at a market you look at you look at different um, statistics about a market, but how unionized the market is is not always um, it's not always evident. Number one, um, and it's mm-hmm. not always talked about. So if you're a company that is going into a certain market that is highly highly unionized, a certain geographical market that's highly unionized, and you're not aware of that. Um, that's a there's a very good chance that you are going to fail even if you understand your competitive premise you understand your potential targets as clients all those important things even regulation and government programs but if there's a union a union sort of foundation in that city um, or that that state or country um, you're going to come up against it at some point and you and the, the trick to roadblocks is making sure you're you know about them before you hit them. Right. So be aware, be prepared. and, And unions is an interesting one in certain parts of the world. It's not, it's not a major barrier in some places.
1: Well, I guess that's the key, right? It's just knowing, like you said, knowing going into it because one, a completely different region, it may not be a challenge. Um, and I actually wanted to get into, uh, I wanted to get into some of those regions too with you a little bit later on because you' you have an interesting way of of sort of dicing up how to look at a region um but the next roadblock is is culture. and I mean, you see that i I saw a, a friend of mine um he'll probably watch the show and call me out now, but um I saw him and he he took quite a bit of offense actually because he was um, um qualified for a position. And and he didn't get the position because of the the fit with company culture. Now, what you're dealing, with, of course, is not an individual. You're talking about taking a company and moving a culture. And I think this would be a good place to tie in some of that regional culture, even throughout Canada and the U.S. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and unpack it because it's a it's it's a major challenge that I think. It's a hard one for people to adapt to because it's not quite as tangible as other things.
2: Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, but it's a huge topic, right? Like so many companies Mm. are talking about internal company culture, which is a huge, a huge challenge of its own. And this, that's a different element. Your internal culture, um, Jared can also hinder your ability to go international. If you can't get buy-in within your, within your own company, you'll probably, you'd probably be struggling in some markets. And then, of course, there's the more obvious, um, the more obvious cultural challenges of going to Latin America, going to China, where you have, you know, embedded cultural ways that people function, Um, you know, siestas in Latin America that we're not used to. Uh, in China, you get. Um, I could get used to that pretty fast. Yeah, yeah I can, I'm, I'm all in too. Um, <laughs> yeah, why can't we figure that one out here? Um, yeah, but uh, you know, in China is another example of of where you know if you go in if you go in without some sort of with if you're tone deaf on the culture, tone deaf on the culture, you you will fail and and you won't you won't be successful in in those markets. The other one that's that's I think interesting in North America is. Uh, and I don't know, Jared, if you've seen the book, The 11 Nations of North America, where you have, where it really defines a little bit of our North-South trading um, uh, culture, if you will, where you have really these different pockets of cultural, religious, and historic roots or historic sort of pockets of people who really like to trade together. And then when you cross those, it sometimes gets cross-threaded. It's, it's like we're speaking different languages, even though we most of us aren't. Um, so it's it's sort of why Canada, why Canada as well is almost more comfortable trading north south than east west in some occasions, apart from mm. our apart from our interprovincial trade barriers, which I'm sure you can get a good politician on to talk about that. But but
1: uh, <laughs> ah, they, they they're not as wild to come on these long form shows as you'd think.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't I wonder why. Um, <laughs> you get them on them. that's a that's a major challenge for us in Canada I tell you it's it's easier in many cases to trade with a state um do business in another state than than a province which really really is hard to take for me I don't I don't I don't think that's a great thing for Canada but mm-hmm. but when you start to look at the cultural differences and the cultural challenges um and much like unions as well Jared they can be barriers they can also be opportunities so if played right or if yeah
1: right, yeah
2: you can do very well in these cultures if you if you have the ability to actually um, actually dive into it and engage with it uh, effectively,
1: mm-hmm. you know, and that's and and I've I've been making mental notes to myself uh, leading up to this to this interview because it it is easy to get it uh, kind of tilt towards sort of all the challenges and um, I I when you were saying about that getting into a culture I was thinking I used to uh, I used to have this construction company. And there was a, there was a old Italian man that he, I mean, he built a ton of stuff in that city. I mean, a ton of stuff and nice places. He was very good at it. And he gave us an opportunity and him and I, I mean, essentially ended up, and I was, I mean, I was a kid, I was like 19 and we ended up pretty much screaming at each other on the job site. And after that, we were friends. It was good to go because he needed that. He needed to know that someone could stand up and they were willing to back what they were saying up that they weren't just going to buckle. And that little understanding gave us so much opportunity. And that is, how do you approach, I mean, you go to somewhere like China where the culture is so different, even the way that they communicate and maybe even a custom in a business meeting. I mean, my example is just this, almost this silly little thing that happened. But on a large scale, how do you talk to a company when they're, when you're trying to get them to, to adapt or or to hold firm on their culture, all these things. How do you sort of approach that?
2: Well, you know, it's it's a great question, Jared. And and the way you know I, I, I answer it is this: it's all about building trust. So at the end of the day, that's what you mm. did with that particular Italian gentleman. Is you built his trust because now he he felt like he knew who you were enough to be able mm. to trust you. And that's really right. the business. The same thing, whether whether we're in 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 Mexico or Colombia or or China or Europe. It's still there's and even in the U.S. I mean there's cultural norms that that are basically um, there in business to to develop trust or 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 lose trust actually you know hurt the trust relationship and my example from China was quite quite a, quite a quite a trip actually in 2000 I can't remember which what year it was now I am forgetting I think 2010 uh, over there to um, to talk to a manufacturer of, of heavy equipment. And I was with the chairman. We were at dinner. We were we were eating and drinking. It was great. Um, food was amazing. Um, service was great. Everything was fantastic at this beautiful table. And we were trying to, you know, consummate our, our deal going forward to bring them to Canada and to bring the product into Canada. And uh, we had done a little bit of drinking, so I, I hope I can talk about this on your show. Um <laughs> and, And uh,
1: this is coffee in the cup. I promise.
2: (laughs) Okay, sure. Um, So you know they would come around and they would say gambay, and you would you would um, shoot the shoot whatever's in front of you. Yeah. Usually in shot glasses, it was fine. And but near the end of the night, the the chairman there sitting beside me, he he has the the server pull pull, pour full glasses, full 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 glasses of red wine for us, right to the rim. And uh, you know after this is after a lot of food, a lot of a lot of other things. And he says, gambay And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to shoot. Oh. Anyway, um, I can't drink red wine anymore. Jared. Um, I can't drink red wine anymore, but we got the deal, you know, and um, whether that was the, the, the one incident that did it or not, you know, who knows. But, but at the end of the day, I, I think all these examples are all about building trust, building, building a feeling of, of, of confidence with each other, which allows you to actually move to the next level of business relationship
1: mm mm-hmm. what 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 kind of stuck out to me when you said you don't know if it's what got the, the deal done it's it's like sometimes it's just knowing it's not what interrupted getting the deal done that's right. exactly yeah exactly um, the other one that on this list and I uh, I love this one it's it's, it's a very insightful thing um, is is innovation um, one person's innovation is not necessarily, your innovation is not necessarily another another uh, countries or regions. Um th- talk a little bit about that because I think that's that's a huge thing that I think trips up a lot of companies when they're trying to choose which region or yeah. which area to target
2: yeah and and it is a good one to think about um you know and sadly, we can be a little bit arrogant sometimes we think we've figured something out that the whole world you know um needs or wants or or um thinks is innovative um it's not always the case, and, and and sometimes we can get a little bit a little bit caught up in our own drinking our own Kool Aid, and and you may yeah. you, you may have um, innovated something remarkable for a market that exists here in Canada, um, and that's fantastic. But you have to then re- relay that and overlay that onto a market with a different political structure, different regulatory structure, different competitors, different union bases, all that sort of thing. You you may you may find that your innovation is a perfect fit, or you may find that it's never gonna fit in that market, because because, either because maybe they're already ahead of it, or they don't have to innovate the same way because of their particular market. So there are nuances to every single market um, that can can really influence your traction in that market. The better we know that going in, we either can take that market off the list, which is if we need to, we do, or we can, we can identify these challenges and then find ways to actually leverage, leverage other things to get in. So it's important. um, you know, and, and I, I always get a little bit, my back up a little bit when I hear, you know, that Canadians can be arrogant and, um, it bothers me, um, because I don't see us that way. I see us as quite, you know, quite collaborative and quite, um, quite team oriented and so on. But, we can often come across, probably because we're not good marketers, that we know it all and that we're there to show them how to do it. And that doesn't always play well, you know, Jared. So you got you to be careful with that stuff. Um, at the same time, innovation is the opportunity. So so it's not that we don't want to take innovation and go go international, like I said earlier. It's a matter of making sure it fits the market we're going to.
1: It's uh, it it goes back to the you know if you if you run into a really good salesperson which I'm certainly not but um, I've seen some really good ones at work and they're they will they will ask you a series of questions before they give you any in information um, and I think that's that's something when you're I've I mean you I'm sure you've seen it I don't know how many times I've gone to another country and you look and go oh they do it that way that makes so much more sense. Yeah, if someone had yeah. shown that to me in Canada, I would have went, let's take this to market. The whole Great. world will love this. Right. Totally.
2: <laughs> totally. Yeah, there's some pretty smart people out there beyond our board.
1: Yeah. yeah. I remember that um, yeah. Um, well, it's funny. I had someone, um, uh, Claudia on the show, she's doing a Women's in Engineering Summit. And um, and she was talking about the how many, especially women engineers, are coming from a lot of other countries. That's where they're getting that. In- yeah, we've got a huge pool here in Canada, but they're coming from those countries right. where they're putting they're producing these people, and it's it's incredible. Yeah, um, those
2: those women in those countries are 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 taking to to STEM or STEAM um, mm-hmm. careers, you know, at a better rate than than we are. And so, I mean, we're trying to catch up, but we don't get we don't have enough women, as far as I've heard anyway. And she would know better than I that are actually taking that type of training. So that's yeah, that's what'll happen.
1: Well, and it's a huge, opera. I love it because I, I go, we're, we're, what do we have? 33 million people in Canada. We've got, we've got plenty of room for everyone to, yes. to come here, especially, especially not just people with these high skills, but these people coming with their high skills. I mean, the opportunity it creates for us is, is unbelievable. And speaking of other countries, though, um, or other regions, regulation, that, now that's a tough roadblock. You you want one where you do all your work and then you get to that line. That's a tough one. Um, how, how do you, if I come in there, I've got a new product, let's say it's from the energy sector, it's an innovation on something that's sort of standard in the industry, but I made it better and I come walking in. What what do you say to me when it comes to regulation?
2: Well, let's take flaring. Um, you know, flaring um, was regulated here in Alberta and Canada. Um, years and years and years ago, but there's many states that, that are just just introducing regulations on flaring, and other countries as well, right? So, so that's an example of where the regulation the regulation wasn't there before. So, so there was a lot of products in that space of you know capturing capturing uh, gas and all that sort of thing, um, and, and other knocks and socks. And there was um, no you know in some places you could just you could just get spew it into the atmosphere. It didn't matter. Now regulation starting to drive a market, right? So in some states or countries where they start to increase their regulation on, say, flaring again, just as an example, that yep. creates a tremendous market opportunity for our companies who've been in it for ten years, right? So, mm-hmm. so regulation can be a market force for good for for opportunity or for or the opposite if um, if you're on the other spectrum of perhaps flaring. But but that goes for many many other. Um, uh other opportunities as well and and reading the tea leaves or watching the political winds um that's why we go through and we evaluate a marketplace we're looking at at the political um history and where it's going as a country just to, to try to read a little bit where some of those regulations will start to take place because because that can create tremendous opportunities or or hurdles for our companies
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I, I hadn't actually thought about that regulation. Um, again, reminding myself about the opportunity side of things, um, which is what you focus on. Um, things, and like, we have guests coming up here on the show. They're they're bringing in sensor technology, new new ways to process that match. Uh, like we've got some pretty heavy regulation here in BC on the um, you know, LNG side and things like that. So that those, I mean, they're creating multi-million dollar opportunities for small companies that have figured out. They figured out a specific thing that they can do and they can deliver to the market. And not only is it in demand, it's required. It's required.
2: (laughs) It's required here. So imagine once other what some states start to follow um, what BC is doing, right? And it starts opening up new opportunities. And that's where that's where we want to really, you know, see these companies be successful here, Jared. And then of course take that technology and, and look at some other markets for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's, again, I mean, this this section alone, we could probably do five episodes looking at different regulatory uh, challenges and opportunities. I mean, you just go on forever. Um, But for the interest of time, uh, Clark, I want to... I want to talk a little bit about your background because, I mean, you've I've had multiple conversations with you now. I mean, you 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 understand how companies need to approach, and I I'm not just saying that. I know you do because you're basically pinpointing every mistake I've made along the way. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. How did you sort of get to the point of Rainmaker? And I mean, I've I see that your your membership your your uh, advi- on the advisory board for the 24th uh, World Petroleum Congress, um, for the Destination Canada. Sorry, I'm getting some funky stuff happening. Um, you were the vice chair of the American Chamber of Commerce in Canada, um, and the chair for the FDI uh, Forum. But you also worked for the British Consulate, um, I believe. So you've got you've had. Got- quite a few moving parts still, and also from your past. So can you just give us, uh, just talk a little bit about it?
2: Yeah. The, you know, the, the British government job was, was tremendous. I, I was, I had some exposure to international business before that. Um, I was working with a company that did satellite communications. We helped, we helped set them up in, in Africa, um, to, to send data. And this was long, long, long time ago, Jared, you are probably still in high school or I'm not sure. Elementary school probably. But uh, anyway, so we were working with companies, mining companies out of Toronto who were, who had, who had um, mines in Africa, but needed the data from those mines every day for their reports to the market. And um, yep. so we would provide satellite communications back when it was very difficult. Um, and that that was very interesting to me, how we would um, work with these these um, international markets get move this data around the world, get it back in time for the markets, etc. So it got me got me a little bit um, interested in it. And then the British government was looking to establish a, a trade office in Alberta in 1999, and and I was fortunate enough to be selected to to open that and run it, be the first director, the founding director of it. It was the first time that the British government had um, had hired a local. Uh, a locally engaged leader to run one of their offices. Um, so I was quite privileged. I didn't know that until, until after I had left a couple of years later. My oh yeah, London was watching you like a hawk. I'm going, oh, great. okay, <laughs> Thanks for letting me know now. of <laughs> better to
1: not know. Yeah, it was, it
2: was way better to not know, let me tell you. But but I just learned so much from um, from you know various different diplomatic levels, the, the consul general, of course, who was my boss, the high commissioner, etc., and just how the Brits do this? How how the Brits, for years, have figured out trade. They've figured out how to help companies, help their companies, be successful in a market somewhere else. And and I I just I just had an opportunity for about five years to to learn under under a lot of folks who had done this for a long time um, and build links between the UK and Canada, which was which was great. Um, and then, as you said, I've been involved with with the various others. We started Rainmaker two thousand seven, uh, myself and two business partners. Um, Tim Cosmic and Lois Mitchell, and then I've been involved on a volunteer level, which I I really believe in volunteering. I just believe, um, a just from a passion point of view of giving back, but also it just connects you with so many so many great people um, around the country, around the world. So um, yeah, so I'm I've I've been heavily involved with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, the American Chamber of Commerce in Canada, um, and, and other groups, and and I just find it to be really. Um, it, it 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 broadens my my scope of knowledge and my just learning from people because there's so many smart people out there and um and identifying you know where their challenges are so it's been it's been great for me to volunteer and to have you know roles like um like the british government role uh for sure
1: what did you take away from that um that you know, I, I had a meeting yesterday with a with a gentleman from Norway, and and right away the the cult there was these, there's just a slight cultural difference, and it was a very interesting conversation to have with him, and and it was lots of fun. But you know, you always kind of take something away, and when you were in that position, um, you know, for an extended period of time, and and what did you sort of take away? Was there something tangible that you went, oh, that is the reason essentially the british empire ever got to be the british empire was there a cultural thing that you saw how the way that they approached things that that brought that success of course there's the good and the bad and all that stuff but but this that thing that they that that you could identify when you when when you walked away
2: yeah you know jerry that's a great question and and you know i learned so many things about about how trade works and and you know you get you get indoctrinated into trade agreements and what all that means and negotiation mm-hmm. of them, which the Brits did very well and and continue to do well. And Canada, to be honest, has done very well with as well. Uh, I have to give you know our our leadership credit for that. We've got some great trade agreements that that facilitate opportunity. Um, but then the thing that really um, you know sticks out to me is the Brits were just a lot better at marketing themselves. Like they they just were bold enough. They were they were maybe, maybe slightly arrogant, but certainly bold enough to go out and, and you know, as companies stand, um, stand on the, in the new market and say, Hey, this is what I can do for you. And I'm confident I can deliver Mm -hmm. a world-class product. And that's, you know, that's sort of the, the, um, the aha for me. It's like, these guys really um, have just have not just figured out how to, how to engineer things. but also then to take them to the world and to, and to demonstrate to the world, um, if you will, that this is an innovation, as we spoke about earlier. This is not just, you know, another, you know, some lipstick uh, or, or paint on something. This is a real innovation. And this is why. And being able to put that story together, um, and the Brits are great storytellers, so maybe that's part of it. But, but there's just a, there's a capability there, and the Americans have it too. Um, for going out and telling their story in such a way that intrigues yeah. the market or intrigues a buyer to uh to wanting to use it.
1: Yeah, it's it's C- Canadians have a simmering tone to them. It's like there's there's plenty of energy there, but it's just sort of it's all sort of boxed in. And um and it's yeah, and you see it. Yeah, when you go when you go to different events, um, if you go to uh, uh US events and stuff like that, you will just see that. It's almost like there's, they're almost like they're uh, waiting to tell you and it's, but it's genuine. It's not like this fake version. It's, it's, they're, they're like, they've got something that they've got to show you. And there's that energy there um, that, yeah, it maybe can be a little bit off-putting at times, but when you're also looking for something, you want someone to be excited about it. So (laughs) if you're the right customer, it works.
2: Right. Totally. And, and, And it can, it can be a bit much, like like you say, Jared, it can be, it can come off a bit much, but, um, but actually, you know, it's, it's right to the point. Um, it's, it's bold Mm -hmm. enough to say, this is what I'm here to talk to you about. Um, we don't need to spend three weeks getting to know each other before I tell you why I want to get to know you. And they're okay with that. And, and there's a, I'm not saying that Canadianism is, is bad or wrong or, or not, not the way, um, the way we should, you know, be as a culture, um but you know like take hockey like we're good at hockey and and that's all about hey I'm coming at you man and so I'm not holding back I'm not not the, the nice the nice hockey players like me who would give up the puck they're not the guys <laughs> in, you, know, <laughs> you know so you know there's there's that it's that it's that tenacity it's that drive it's that that I really respect from from a lot of other culture, but certainly the Brits and, and the Americans for sure
1: yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting conversation. and I will, yeah. I will say to close off that, that section, when you find a Canadian to do business with that has the Canadian politeness, but that assertiveness, yeah. it, those, those people, man, are they good to do business with, but they're hard to find. I mean, they're hard to find anywhere though. Those are, those, yeah. those are rare people. And, but when, but they're worth, they're worth looking for That's for sure. hundred yeah. percent. Um, I want to, as we're kind of coming to the close of this, Clark, I want to talk about, um, you had another nice thing on your website with market analysis. And I want to run through those. I think it's one of those things. I don't, you know, we don't, I don't think we need to unpack it fully, but I just want you to run through them. And then of course, people that, you know, need that services can reach out to you. Um, But those five D's, I think they're important. I kind of wanted to make sure we got those covered in the episode. Uh, So could you just kind of walk through them uh, starting with design?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, and, and we try to, we try to make it as simple to understand what we do, um, Jared, as we, as we can with our clients, because, you know, this whole idea of new market entry or business development in a new market is, is a, is a bit of an anomaly for people to get their head wrapped around, but under market analysis, the way we approach it is with the five Ds. So, so we, we look at, we look at design, like we look at um, the design of how we're going to enter the market. So when we start out with a client, we're, we're, we're discovering, how we might design a market entry strategy right so it's it's important to have that frame with everything we do and then of course the next one is is data Um, and and it's and you know getting the right data the right mix of data we have a number of um uh databases that we subscribe to so we can collate information and and bring it together in an effective way for our clients and it's really really important we get that right um the next one is direct contact and 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 so it's fine to study a market and, you know, I've, I always tell the, the CEOs, I typically am selling to the CEOs and I say, listen, if you're looking for a nice, you know, um, MBA report, um, just a nice pretty report you can put on the shelf. I'd rather you went to a, a school, went to an MBA school and got them to do it. Cause we're, cause our, yeah. we, we see there's huge value in it, huge value, but the direct contact of actually trying to connect the company with the market is really a critical part of it. So we're not just gonna do a data collection and, and a nice report. Um, the other one is of course, de-risking. So the so we've got design, data, direct contact and de-risking. And de-risking is our job, the way we see our job is to make sure we, we identify every barrier that might cause a problem. So as we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, Jared, we don't want our companies to be surprised by a market. We want them to be um, really, um, Aware going in, so we're going to de-risk it from that perspective. We're going to de-risk it from a cost perspective. So we do everything we can to reduce the costs of a market entry or market analysis. So whether that's through government grants or it's through um, how we how you we might suggest you enter the market. Um, there may be inexpensive ways to do it as opposed to say buying a company for ten million dollars. You're in the market, yeah. then, then you're in trouble. And then of course our deliverables is the last D, and and we're our team is always focused on what are the deliverables that the client wants from this market Um, when you really think about it when you go back to the beginning why are you considering this market Um, is it because they got nice beaches and you want to travel down there three or four times a year Okay, um, I don't recommend that strategy, but if, if that's what you want to do, you,
1: you get people saying stuff like that, oh, don't you?
2: Absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Great beaches down in Saint Lucia. We should go there. Okay, well, let's figure out if there's a any sort of market <laughs> for you. Um, but anyway, I, you it's know, funny. it's all fine. I mean, I mean, I it's it's great, and I get it. I love to travel with my wife too. So, um, yeah. But um, you know, the, the, you know, really understanding. Okay, we're looking at this market. Why we're looking at maybe for a technology play to learn from the market. Maybe we're looking at it from a pure sales play. And we want to just get our revenues up. So understanding those deliverables. So what we're, we're clear going in is really important. So those are the five D's that we, uh, we stay focused on here.
1: Yeah. I, um, I, I think, what do you see? Um, what do you see? What, what with right, right now what's happening, everything being shut down and, and we talked touched on it a little bit at the beginning, Do you, what, what do you, what do you see companies, um, if you could kind of categorize, what do you see the approach of companies right now? I mean, it's, it's a, it's it's a little bit of an unfair question because there's companies that are hurting so badly right now. And I'm not, I'm, I'm some of them, they're just, it's beyond their control. Like that's, there's nothing that they can do about it. So I'm, I'm not minimizing what they're going through, but what is sort of the approach you're seeing, or even would you recommend the companies that are going in Canada? Um, or you, I mean, we have lots of U.S. listeners as well. Um, how how are you kind of encouraging them to approach when when such a major shift in in basically global business right now?
2: Yeah, yeah, it is a huge question. <laughs> Um, we we've got two more hours okay (laughs) so you know it's 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 a great question though because a lot of people are asking right now what's what's the world going to look like in uh, 2021 and 2022 Um, where where is the puck going to go going to be where's it going all those sorts of things and I think if you look at look at some industries to start with um, you know you look at health you look at technology you look at transportation um, they're all going to be um, strong going forward, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, so if you have something that, that includes that, you're, you're probably, you want to lean into that a little bit, I think, going forward. Um, but there's a lot of companies that companies don't have that, right? Some companies don't have that opportunity and they're looking at, um, you know, maybe a shrinking, a shrinking industry. And, and that's when you have, to, you have to think about innovating what you do, how you do it. And that's where I think, you know, when you look at yourself in your value chain, like look at the value chain that you reside in, every company resides somewhere in a value chain here. You, yeah. you mean somebody to something to somebody because, and and you start looking up and down the value chain um, that can often lead to, you know, Oh, my, my suppliers are doing this or, you know, and they've innovated this way, or my my client has actually added this element to their business. How does that change what I could offer? Right. And I, And I think that's where it's not easy thinking sometimes because it's, it's, it's one of those, tough painful dis- discussions to have with your senior leadership team looking around how do we, what do we add right now in this ever-changing evolving marketplace that we're in um, and then start to adapt maybe look at partnerships in a different way I think collaboration and partnerships will be a big part of how we go forward um, yeah this, this whole idea that I can own my brand and you know and compete I I'm more of a you know partnerships a lead the way guy um, and being smart about the partnerships that you strike will be really i think what will determine the 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 winners going forward um i have one other thought jared sorry i don't know if you want to comment on that and then i can
1: no 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 please
2: the other part is that you know as you look at the as you look at the government um involvement in the economy it's at a different level it's never been at this level before and i i believe they're going to many governments will look to spend spend their way through this to keep the economies going uh, to keep pouring into the pouring the you know into some GDP, um, and so because as the as the as the businesses are more reluctant to spend because they don't, their their risk levels are high, and consumers maybe are a little bit more reluctant to spend. All you have left is government, so government's going to be the one that has to spend, and and mm-hmm. and they will. Um, so I would also be looking at if there's any way you can supply to governments. Think about that because that's probably where they'll be um some funding available uh some contracts available we can discuss politically whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing but i, I believe that it to be quite a bit of opportunity in that space
1: yeah and then like you said things like regulatory demand that's going to drive um those companies that are supplying that government demand they're they're going to they're going to need certain mechanisms and devices and all all the, you know the sensor technology all this stuff sort of stuff that's coming into play there's lots of opportunities in that um yeah, no, Clark. It's it's uh, like I said. It's it's like it's hard. It's like, it's like we've started a conversation, and I, I know you're out there talking to people. Though, um, if someone just wants to reach out in that initial uh, chat, you know, just to talk to you, you've sort of given that company size range. Um, but but I, I get the sense from just talking to you, you're you're pretty open to having that initial discussion. Just if someone has a couple things they want to clarify and, and just sort of uh, engage with you.
2: Totally. Absolutely, Jared. And and, and listen, I mean, I, I try to handle those myself whenever I can. Um I've got, you know, market experts on Latin America and the US and China and mm-hmm. Europe here. And sometimes it's I do I do them more of a service just to say, hey, you should talk to Karen or you should talk to Hugh or you should talk to you know Peter Patrick in Austria. But that's what I'll often do. But I'm more than happy always to take a, an inquiry, a chat. I, I find it fascinating personally. That's why I'm in the business, right? To get to know companies and and understand their their challenges and what they're trying to do, and and then try to figure out a solution to help them. I, I you know, even if they don't use us for anything, I'm I'm always intrigued to try to help companies. Uh, you know, get to their next um, you know milestone or, or marker in the road. It's 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 fun for me. So.
1: Have you, uh, uh, how have you adjusted to, I mean, I know you do in-person speaking and all that sort of stuff. I, I like how we need to clarify now that in-person speaking, that's <laughs> yeah, right? just used to be called, uh, speaking, but, um, <laughs> right. is that, how is that for you though? Just you know, as we're wrapping up, just on a yeah. personal level, um, what, how, how is it, What what's it like for you having to shift in it and the way you communicate? I know you're sort of, I mean, I'm not saying you're an extrovert, but I, I see that you're out there and you talk to a lot of people and yeah. And that's sort of been pulled away from a lot of us that are used to that sort of environment. Uh, how do you sort of adjust on a personal level?
2: Well, it's been interesting, uh, interesting change, Jared. And, and I mean, you know, you're, you're very aware of this, but, um, it, you know, it's, it feels strange to be like in my office here talking to thousands of people on your show. But, but you know, um, I, I do a lot of webinars. I do a lot of different presentations this way. Um, and you don't get to see the people and it, it's a totally different feeling from a speaker's point of view. Mm-hmm. Flip side of that is the number of people I've spoken to this year is through the charts and I'm sure same for you. So, so, oh, it's you know, insane. Yeah. So the, the numbers are, are crazy when you think about all the different people now who, you know, watch your show and, and, and understand what you're doing because they're, they're less, they're, they're not moving around as much. They're, they're at their office more often, able to watch the crowns like this. These are the things that, that, um, that I find very fascinating. Now, I totally miss, you know, business events and, and getting out with people and, and meeting people and shaking hands and, and all, that, all that fun stuff. I, I, I really do enjoy that and I've been involved in the event industry for many, many years. And, you know, so it's different. In fact, tomorrow I have my first sort of live three-minute speech um, uh, over at the airport. Um, they're doing oh. a hop. They're actually, Air Canada's doing a hop between Calgary and, and Vancouver. Just to show, oh, nice. uh, show, showcase, you know, what Air Canada is doing to be safe and in travel. But um, you know, I'm a little nervous. I haven't done anything live for a long time. <laughs> <So> it's, it's, <laughs>
1: well, you only got three minutes.
2: It's, 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 it's I don't know, man. I got to figure out what I'm going to say now. But um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strange feeling. Um, I don't think anybody really loves it. Um, but, but I've been fascinated with the number of people I've gotten to know. Um, mm this way, and it's been that maybe I would never have met otherwise, so it's interesting
1: yeah, no, for sure, I mean what you and I are connected through paul painter, he uh connected us you've you've got had some similarities actually in your your careers um he worked for the british com, uh consulate as well, yeah, and i mean yeah um i I do. You know what? I actually don't live events. I uh, I like groups of about two or three people. At once, it gets to about ten. I'm one of these people that likes to go high, and I have to really kind of psych myself up for it. But I even me, I'm finding myself I'm missing it. There's a couple people, organizations like CIM and that, that put on these great events, yeah. and I miss seeing the people that there that you know that are out there working hard and get connecting everybody and putting on these events. I. Yeah. I feel for them. That's, you know, and and I genuinely miss it. So I hope, I think it's so important what you're doing for company. So I'm glad you came on the show Clark, but I, and I, I do hope there's an in-person element to our life or more of
2: one very, very soon. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jared. It's been great to be with you.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you everybody for, for watching the show. Um, there's, yeah, it's, this is like a, For me, because I know the value of what Rainmaker is doing, it feels more like a 30-second interview. So I I really would encourage you, go reach out to them, talk to them, um, especially if you're expanding. There are opportunities right now. Look at our little company. We used to do one show every week. Now we're up to two or three and booked out months ahead. Um, There is opportunity right now, and I'd really encourage you to, to reach out to a company that knows how to look at a market. So thank you for watching, everybody, and we will see you on the next episode of The Crownsman Show.
0: Thank you for watching. Please remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you would like to help support the production of the show, head on over to crownsman.com forward slash donations. There are two options, the five buck monthly subscription option and the support heavy industry one-time donation option. Again, that is crownsman.com forward slash donations. Thank you to all of our sponsors, Savannah Equipment, PowerZone Equipment as well. Um, And we will see you on the next episode.